Praise Jesus. Let's pray one more time. Lord Almighty, we come before your word. Put it in our hearts. Shape us and mold us, Jesus, so that we will rejoice in you. Amen. Hey, Happy New Year! Praise Jesus. So I have a question for you all. I want you all to raise your hand if you did anything you regretted last year. Okay, so now I want you to raise your hand if you didn't do something last year and you regretted it. Okay, you know what I'm about to say, don't you? James knows what I'm about to say. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, next week we're talking about lying. Are you ready for a new year? Are you ready for a new you? Or have you lived in this world long enough to be cynical and you're among that crowd that secretly says, I hate New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Good. Listen, if you're older than three you have things that you regret. If you're older than two, probably, you wish that you had done something differently or you wish that you hadn't done something that you, in fact, did. And while it's true, our past, along with, praise Jesus, the grace of God, we have become the men and women that we currently are. But our failures and even our successes when we view them wrongly must not determine our future. Rip the rear view mirror off of your mental windshield. Take it off. Because the past is the past. You cannot always live in regret or second-guessing. Why? Well, because regretting and second-guessing will paralyze all your future decisions. Because you can't control what other people will think or do because you did the right thing or the wrong thing or you didn't do the right thing or you didn't do... Whatever. You can't always live in regret and second-guessing because you may have made the right decision and painful consequences for yourself and others may have happened anyways. You can't live in regret or second-guessing because in the eyes of the one with whom everyone has to do, If you have trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, then you have received grace. You have received mercy. You have received favor that you did not earn. And you have received power to move forward in God's kingdom no matter what your past. And finally, you can't live in regret or second guessing because no matter what your past, you are a new creation The old things have passed away. And behold, look, pay attention. New things have come. And just as we learned this morning, one day soon, everything sad will be made untrue. You see, to be a Christian, 
is to recognize first and foremost that we have a personal creator king that uses us fallible, finite, even sinful to glorify His name. He uses us. And it is not for you and I to wish that things had been different. It is for you and I to trust the promise that God is a craftsman skillful enough to use these dim lights and these dull blades to fashion something beautiful for His glory, for our everlasting joy, and for the growth of His kingdom right now. I need an amen for that. Come on, people. you got to be awake. We're going to work on, in 2018, your New Year's resolution is to say amen to Pastor Greg. There you go. Okay. We'll work on that. But we have to ask ourselves, why is this? Why are you preaching this, Pastor Greg? It sounds like you're preaching something from some feel-good seminar that's out there. Believe me, I'm not. Because they could take a grain of truth and blow it up. But we know the Word of God. And we can have faith. We can have confidence in. We can trust the promises of God because we are supernaturalists. We believe the promise that God is God over what we perceive as bad and over what we perceive as good. It is because we believe, as we heard this morning once again, that God will make all sad things come untrue. It is because we believe in one of the most all-encompassing promises in Scripture. We know that for those who love God, those who are called together for His purpose, all things will work out for our good. Even those who are called according to His name. Man, it's hard having it memorized in one version and reading it. So let me just read it. We know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. But you know, the best commentary I have found on this verse isn't in a commentary or a textbook. It's poetry. And it's found in your hymnal in front of you. I'll read it for you. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable Fathomable minds of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye, fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings upon your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides. A smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God in his own God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Written by William 
Cooper is how you pronounce that name. You have to be English. In other words, Romans 8.28. And as important as this verse is, and it should be memorized by each and every single one of us, it is a constant reminder that all of the frustrations and trials in this sin-sick world will be used by God for His glory and for your never-ending joy. But that is just the beginning of where I want to land today. I want to preach an expanded version of the idea here in Romans 8.28 that also provides excellent guidance on how you and I can live this new year until the King of Kings and President of Presidents returns. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Some of you got that. Well done. You can be certain. You can depend upon. You can trust in God's promises because He is the personal Creator King of everything and the sovereign author of the history of the world and of your history as well. God the Father knows and loves you better than you know and love yourself. And He will always come through for you on His promises for you in Christ. And furthermore, I want to show you tonight in the first half of a two-part sermon as we go through this passage, that being a supernaturalist, being one who expects the personal creator king of the universe to work, means that we believe, first and foremost, that God can change us, and God can change those who are near us, those that we love. So let me read our passage tonight. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16-21. through Paul writes to us, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now what we see in these verses is a clear display of the fact that God is primary in working in and through us, His people. And then we see on the other hand that God's people are at work. We are at work in Brazil. 
We are at work in the Middle East. And we are at work right here in Santa Maria, California. In simple terms and by way of application, you and I need to remember to be a supernaturalist. To be one that knows and expects God to act in us and through us for His glory, for our good, and for the growth of His kingdom. And furthermore, as we are trusting the supernatural, personal, creator, king of the universe, we can do what Paul is emphasizing in this passage. Reconcile. That we're going to emphasize next week. But tonight, we're only going to look at the first two verses. And we will learn to be supernaturalists in how we view ourselves, how we view those who are near us, and how we view Jesus Himself. Because there are few things that demand a supernatural belief more than believing that God can change me and that God can change those we love. And it is believing exactly this, that God can change a leopard's spots that Paul applies this supernatural vision of God. Let's read verses 16 and 17 again. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, pay attention. Look, I'm telling you something really important. The new has come. Amen. Now, the first question that we must ask when we come to our passage is what is Paul talking about when he says according to the flesh? Because it seems to me if we miss this, we miss really the whole point. Scott Hafman, one of those commentaries I was just bagging on a minute ago, (laughs) says viewing people according to the flesh is by viewing them in accordance with the standards and values that derive from living as if physical life is all that exists. Today we call them materialists or naturalists. Today we see them everywhere among us and they think that just the things that you can touch is all that there is. I would love to preach on that. You can look up my notes for my sermons when I was doing my doctorate about that. But what we see is that to view others according to the flesh is to see them only from the outside. Ah, they wear shabby clothes. They smell bad. We tend to size them up and make them out to be deadbeats and obviously less important than my friends. To view others according to the flesh is to look at people who are of a different race and we see whatever stereotypes we choose to believe. Those we see are good or they're bad because we heard, up, we heard stories while we were growing up about those people. To view others according to the flesh is to diminish or even condemn them as human beings. And exactly this is what Jesus tells us not to do in Matthew 7.1 where He says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. But what is Jesus getting at here? What is is He saying when He says, judge not? 
Well, at least two things. The first one is that we must not belittle other people. Now listen, you're not going to be buddies with everybody you meet. But you can give them dignity. No matter how shabbily dressed they are. No matter how badly their breath stinks. You can look at them in the eye. You can give them verbal recognition. You can open a door. You can not think and talk about what a jerk that guy over there is. All of these things are things that our culture around us studiously neglects. But as Christians, we must reach beyond just the being polite, not looking at people, and engage. Smile when you walk by someone at the store. Be a revolutionary. You want to be a revolutionary? Smile at people at Costco. Smile at people at Starbucks when you see them. Acknowledge them when you're in line with them. Pretend like they're real human beings just like you are. That is revolutionary in this culture. And if you do that, people are going to wonder about you. What's with that lady? And when they ask, Jesus. Don't belittle people. And then the second thing Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 7 is don't condemn them. What, is, what does that mean? Well, just a really easy example about this. On Facebook, everyone is presumed guilty. Tell me I'm wrong about that. Everyone is presumed guilty and there is no trial. Christian, you must not be like that. That doesn't mean you don't disagree with people. But it means you do it in a respectful way. It means you do it caring more about the person that you're interacting with rather than winning the argument. Because let me tell you a secret. None of you know this. This is a secret, okay? You can't win arguments on social media by yelling at people. <laughs> Did you know that? You can't win arguments on any level by yelling at them. But that's not where the rubber meets the road. Where the rubber meets the road. If you want to be a supernaturalist, you need to believe God can change me. We act as atheists. We act as practical atheists when we come to January 1st or August 1st and we think, I'm not going to do any New Year's resolutions. I'm the way I am and I'm not going to change. I can't memorize verses. I can't decide that I'm going to stick with a Bible memory program. Breathe. Recognize that God can enable you to do what He wants you to do. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, how many of you have ever said something along the lines, I just can't memorize Scripture? Well, let me ask you a question. I stole this also from Pastor James. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> 
Do you think God would want you to memorize Scripture? The answer is? Yes. Okay. You think God wants you to memorize Scripture. Do you think that you could put some effort into memorizing Scripture? The answer is? Yes. Let me ask you one more question. Can you fail? The answer to that is no. Because if you put effort into memorizing Scripture, starting tonight, and you tell yourself, I'm going to have our fighter verse, by the way, that we were supposed to memorize for today was Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you shall go. Joshua 1.9. If you decided you were going to memorize the next fighter verse, which actually I don't know off the top of my head, and you were going to do it for next Sunday, and you tried five minutes each day, and you got to next Sunday, and you didn't get it word perfect. Oh, did you fail? No! No! You spent 35 minutes in God's Word putting it into your heart and mind. That's not a failure. And if you do it believing that we are supernaturalists, That God really is at work in this world and in your heart. And you will succeed. Even if you fail. God can change me. But oh man, these sins I have been struggling with for decades. What's with that? Well, obviously I can't answer that question in specific. But I can give you two very good general things that God is doing in your struggle against sin. Number one, God wants you to struggle. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter had to get her shoes on. And she says, help me, Baba. And I told her, I am helping you by not putting your shoes on. She could not fathom that. That was way beyond her ability to process. But if every single time she struggled with getting her shoes on, I went and, sh- and fixed it for her, guess who would never learn how to put her shoes on? The struggle is vital. But the second reason, if God wants us to constantly always get better and better and better and better and better and better God's failing but if God instead wants us to go through the ups and downs that we see are constant in the Christian's life all the way through history in order to bring us into dependence upon him wow he is succeeding in my life, in your life. So be a supernaturalist. God can change you. And you and I need to be supernaturalists. God can change my dad. You know, I've been praying for my dad now for 28 years. My dad is as stubborn as always, and he is ill. Please pray for him, Bob Burnett. I know at least one of you does. 
So what's, the, what's with that? Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Why doesn't just like that make it all perfect, right? Anybody else struggle with a very near family member who's not a Christian? And you pray for them? Been praying for them for years? And saying, Lord, save this person's soul? Number one, God wants you to struggle. He wants you to come to Him. And He wants you to grow in your dependence upon Him. So pray. Because there's only one person that can save my father's soul. And there's only one person who could save your son or your daughter or your husband or whoever else it is you're praying for. And then plan. Talk. Tell them about what the Lord is doing in your life. Be willing to answer questions that they may have. Be willing to say the things that you've seen so that they can see, wow, this person is a supernaturalist. Because if all they do is see that you do things exactly the way they do with just a little bit of change on Sunday morning, who needs that? Watch football instead. And then, plan, pray, plan, and pretend. Now what do I mean by that? I had to have a P. Go about your life as if God has already answered your prayer. Don't sit there fretting. Oh, believe me, I stew a lot when I'm thinking about my dad and all the rest of my family. Go about your life. Living your life praising Jesus. This morning when I woke up at 3.03, whatever it was, the song came into my head. I'm not going to sing it all. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I need to choose to have joy because if I'm grumpy all the time, my dad's not going to think there's anything different about me than his life because he's grumpy all the time. Which brings us to the second point in this passage in verse 16. Where Paul says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So the second question we need to ask is, what does it mean to regard Christ according to the flesh? Simply, we regard him as a great teacher, a philosopher, whatever it is that that you like, this carpenter from Nazareth. And in terms of the standards and values of this world, Jesus was just some itinerant Jew who was executed. And for most, God save us, he's some pathetic, pasty, long-haired do-gooder that would certainly have no good influence in how you make your decisions today. But let me tell you something. God the Son is the second person of the Trinity. And he is the one who is right now at this moment smashing Hydrogen atoms together in the middle of the sun and he's creating from them oxygen and carbon and he's creating from them diamonds. And God the Son is at the exact same time holding those carbon and hydrogen and oxygen atoms in your heart together. 
He is the God who makes the sun cross the sky in all of its blinding glory. And He's smiling while He's doing it. Woohoo! He is rejoicing to make the sun boil with flames that we can't even look at. And the same God who holds the carbon and oxygen and hydrogen atoms in your heart keeps that heart beating. Lub dub, lub dub, lub dub, lub dub. And the same personal creator king who holds the universe together is also the one who is in charge of history i love this passage i wish i could comment on it but you're just going to have to listen acts 17 24 to 27 the god who made the world and everything in it being lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined determined predestined made it happen the way he wants to having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps grope is the word that's translated Feel their way towards Him and find Him. Even though He is not far from any one of us. My friends, the God that smashes the hydrogen together, the God that knits your heart together and keeps it beating, is in charge of world history. And your history. And there is no tear There is no sigh. There is no shout of anger that He will waste. It is all His. And He knows the scars that you bear. He knows the secret sins that you are afraid somebody will notice. Your God knows you and loves you better than you do. On that, you can depend. Because He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. Your God is for you and not against you. Jesus Christ is the wisest, most intelligent, best informed person in the universe. Jesus Christ can give advice to Bill Gates on how to make a computer and to Elon Musk on how to run a company or three. Jesus could give advice on relationships to Dr. Phil. Oh, that he would listen. And he could give advice on personal well-being to Oprah and on decorating to Martha Stewart. Christ is preeminent and he is omnicompetent. You can trust him. But all too often, because we have blinders in front of us, 
Because we see as the world sees, according to the flesh. This is not our experience. And so, God does not show Himself to be a miraculous provider because we don't depend on Him to provide miracles. Let me say that again. God does not show Himself to be a miraculous provider because we don't depend on Him to provide miracles. Are you a practical atheist? Do you live your life as if Jesus is an afterthought? Oh, it's prayer time. Oh, I have to pray because we're having dinner right now. Oh, I have to go to church because it's Sunday morning. Is Jesus an afterthought? Do you consciously ask God to give you provision, protection, or purpose throughout your day? Do you afterwards go about your life as if He, in fact, is providing, protecting, and giving purpose? Or do you see the world through this impersonal, according-to-the-flesh view? Choose in 2018 to be a supernaturalist. You can trust the promises of God for you in Christ who empower you to fight the battle against those sins that have long held you. You can fight the battle because you are a supernaturalist. You are one who depends upon God to provide grace, to provide that power to accomplish His kingdom purposes while you do things like participate in Scripture reading and prayer and service outreach and even fellowship with those crazy people you go to church with on Sunday night. If you are a supernaturalist, you can depend upon God. You are convinced that God will help you overcome your fears. Because I know someone who makes a lot too many decisions based upon fears. Your fears that you will be shown to be the small, weak person you know yourself to be. Your fears that people will know too much about you and they'll reject you. But you can trust that God has made you new and therefore you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to hide. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, look, I'm telling you something important. Behold, the new has come. You have nothing to hide from Him who knows you and loves you more than you know and love yourself. And you have nothing to hide from those few but trusted souls who love Him and who love you. Because you will always be the one who has sinned, you can trust that God now makes you new. And you can move forward as a supernaturalist, as one who depends, who lives their life as if God is going to come through on His promises. I secretly knew where Pastor Benji was going this morning. So I want to add to what he said this morning. This is also Tim Keller, who he quoted this morning. He says, on the day of the Lord, 
the day when God makes everything right, the day that everything sad comes untrue. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. That day when everything sad comes untrue. On that day, the same thing will happen to your own hurts and sadness. You will find that the worst things that have ever happened to you will in the end only enhance your eternal delight. Did you hear that? If you don't believe it, go home and read Romans chapter 20. Revelation 20, sorry. Thank you for whoever caught that. You will find that the worst things that have ever happened to you will in the end only enhance your eternal delight. On that day, all of it will be turned inside out and you will know joy beyond the walls of the world. You will know joy beyond the looking at things according to the flesh. The joy of your glory will be that much greater for every scar you bear. But my friends, you cannot see this. You cannot believe this. You can't even begin to think like this until you become a supernaturalist. Until you consciously decide each and every day to believe, to depend on, to have confidence in the God who can and will rejoice to work in you and through you for His glory, for your joy and for the growth of His kingdom. So this year, be a supernaturalist. Lord, we cannot do this without Your Holy Spirit. And next week, we will see how all of this comes from the Lord. So we ask You, we ask You to come and work in us and through us because we want, we long to be the men and women of God that You have created us to be. Do it, Lord. We ask You to fulfill Your promise and we ask You to work in us so that we will depend upon those promises so that we will rejoice. We love you, Jesus. Amen.